reclaiming identity, sharing stories of struggle, pride, and redemption in reconnecting with our heritage. Hi, I'm Drora. And I'm Dahlia. And we're bringing you Reclaiming Identity as part of the ASF Institute of Jewish Experience. Do you feel a part of the Jewish story? Is your family what pops up when people think of Jews? At Reclaiming Identity, we celebrate and explore the greater Jewish experience. We encourage you to tell your story and take pride in your heritage as it is a part of your identity. Listen to other people's stories, ask questions, be curious, and reclaim your identity. I think it's important to hear stories particularly of multi-generations. We talk a lot about the difference between first, second, third generation, and one and a half and two and a half and everything in between. And if you'd be so kind as just give a brief intro to yourselves, where you are now, where you're from, and what you do. My name is Miriam Daniels, and I was born in India, Bombay, now Mumbai. And um, we, my parents brought us to Canada in 1966 of the four children and them, you know, and themselves, we all came together. The one thing good that um, the Jewish agency, the Jewish Immigrant Aid Service, which is in, I think in, in the States is called Hyatt, Hebrew Immigrant Aid. They did help us out, like, you know, getting, um, helping us to get furniture and, and, and you know, because we only came with like $200 in our pocket. My parents saved up money thinking that we can bring the money here you know, to Canada, and my parents saved up enough money in those days to buy at least two houses, but we could not bring it here because the Indian government did not allow us to bring money to Canada. And the $200 that we did get, we had to return back to Canada, to India because they didn't allow us to take any, uh, you know, currency out. So my parents had to find a job, you know, with that $200, we had to pay first month's rent, which was like $150, $50 for food. It was a very difficult time for us, but they never regretted coming to Canada because overall Canada has been very, very good to us. Fortunately, my parents said uh, they wanted to be in a Jewish area, like, you know, you know, in the Jewish community. But unfortunately, the Jewish community was not so welcoming because it was all Ashkenazim. Mm-hmm. I hate to say that, and no. um, it's uh, it's sad to say that we were, because this is the first time we ever felt discriminated against, because in India, we didn't have any discrimination. Did you not have discrimination between Ben Israel and the Baghdadis? Yeah, but you know what? It's um, It's not like it was amongst the older generation. It's not amongst the young. It's kind of like the Baghdadis, they did not show it outside. You know what I'm saying? They did not treat us right. Absolutely. If we went to the synagogues, we had to sit in the back. That's but discrimination. No. <laughs> that is discrimination. I agree with you. 100% is discrimination. We came to a country, we expected better. They said European education, European this and this and that. In India, you know what? I'm talking about the local Hindus and the Muslims. Never discriminated against the Jews. I think yes. it was more they had, they had this expectation. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah. I think, I think like, you know, my we'll backtrack a little bit because it's just more just me to intro but uh yes. so my name is Ariella Daniels I'm the daughter of Miriam Daniels and I was and born and Dr. raised Daniels. here in Toronto so I'm first generation Canadian um and yes we can continue I think more with that conversation but yeah. I'm very much involved in the Jewish community here went to Jewish school my whole life and uh very active in the Jewish community and I currently work at the Israeli consulate here in Toronto I think you know because my grandparents and my parents they grew up a lot with kind of British India, both sets of my grandparents, they grew up uh, amongst an India that was under the British, the British Empire. When they, when coming to Canada, when thinking of coming to Canada, it was seen as this, the expectation they had, I, again, based on what I've heard from the stories I was told, was very high. You know, here we're coming to, a, you know, a Western country that, you know, was considered civilized and educated, right, in English, with manners, and all these different kind of um, ideals. And I mean, I don't think they expected when they came here, they would, they would, they expected the level of discrimination in general from like general Canadian society plus the Jewish community. So yes, they did experience discrimination amongst other Jews in India. However, you have to remember B'nai Israelis, which is, we didn't mention that the community we come from is the B'nai Israel community, was the majority. 
So even though the Baghdadis did discriminate and it was a heavy blow. And till this day, I, I still I still hear stories of the mistreatment and the bitterness and the animosity that that that, that um the generations before me and to be honest, my own generation still feels. We're still the majority. We're the biggest Jewish community of India. So there's a little bit of, I guess, pride that we have in that status. And I think that we have this kind of um I don't know, we have each other. Like the Bene Israelis were very tight knit. Our grandparents, you know, every generation was very close, close knit. So even though we, we were discriminated against by the Baghdadis in, in many situations, we still had each other. We still had many synagogues. We still had more synagogues. And uh, uh, we didn't feel that loneliness. Again, I'm speaking on behalf of a different generation. That's not me. That's just a sense that I you know, interpret uh, you know, thinking back at the stories, but just to, you know, I, before we can get more in depth, I think, Mummy, you can mention just a little bit about who, like, where you do now. Like, you've been in Canada since 1966. Yeah, we've, I've been in Canada. Since I was raised in Canada since 1966. I, I went to school here. I went to university. I went to, uh, you know, and I work in, I work for a Jewish agency. Did you go to a Jewish school? No, we, my parents tried to get us into a Jewish school, but they told us, they kind of like said, if you don't have the money, you can't pay, you can't go to the Jewish school. And when we first came, what 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 money are you going to have when you have two hundred dollars in your pocket? And secondly, um, they didn't believe we were Jewish. They asked us if we converted to Judaism. Did your parents convert? Did your grandparents convert? And my, can you read Hebrew or can you speak Yiddish? First of all, my father was fluent in reading Hebrew. I'm sure. <laughs> But um, like the prayer book, like he, you know, prayer books prayer. and yeah. prayer. And um, but he he didn't did, we didn't know Yiddish. We lived in, in, a, in a very Ashkenazi community, and they would ask us, "What are we doing? Like Jews live here. What are you doing in this community?" And I I felt that as a young kid, I kept I I my mother like my father were very strong people. They they never shut the people's mouth. They you know what they had very good strong faith in God. And they said, you know, leave it to Hashem. He will, he will deal with the people. He will handle it. We don't need to handle it. We have to be strong and just go forward and just work hard because they always believed in working hard. So that's the way we felt. And when we, like, even in school, we were not treated like we were bullied and not treated nice. Like, you know, the whole class, we were invited to a bar mitzvah, or bat mitzvah but you were left out. I'm talking about the whole class, including the non-Jews. And, you know, and it was like, it was a very, very different feeling. My parents made us strong, strong people. You know, if we didn't have them to teach us the right way of of standing on our feet, I think we would have been struggling even today. But it's hurtful to think about it because just recently, a few years ago, right in front of, like, I'm in the gym and um, a young woman, I couldn't even remember your age. My age, my sorry, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm young, I'm young. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying she came up to me and she asked me if I was Miriam Himes. My Himes is my maiden name. And um, she says she came and apologized to me. And I said, What are you apologizing for? And she says, Well, I was in grade two. I remember oh, wow. I remember bullying you and mistreating you and I just wanted to um, you know ask for your forgiveness and I'm going like is there I said you remember I said I I went on from that life you know it yeah. doesn't matter to me I said it was nice you know I said I forgive you but I can't even remember first of all and secondly I said I was thinking to myself is Oprah around here with the video, <laughs> video cameras or something like that because I felt like she said in front of her daughter and her friends, and I was like, me too, yeah, yeah and, my, and my daughter. And I was like, first of all, she's an amazing person to come up to me and say, yeah, yeah. I'm saying that must, that's a change. It has to it's be a change. Yes, yeah, it was a courage, courage that she gave us, but it was, it was very difficult, you know, um, growing up in Toronto and going to, like, even, I hate to say it, even the Moroccans did not treat us in the beginning nice because they called us Hindus and they called us, Hindus, 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 wow. and uh, that was in the beginning. But you know, you, um, my parents always said we have to just teach them. They have to know. Uh, they have to know there are Jews from different cultures, different different areas in this world. Because this is our life that we have. We're here to teach people that there is diversity in the Jewish community. It may take time, 
It may take a long time, but this is with, you know, this is how we were taught and we're still teaching. We're still teaching uh, people and, you know, they're still asking us, did we convert? And I, the, when they asked us in the beginning, I would tell them, why would I convert to a religion where most of the world hates I'm with you. I don't understand. Why that. would I not, not, not convert? I'm like, why would I not convert? Why would I yeah. say claim that I'm Jewish if the, the whole world hates us? Well, I I, don't, I have a hard time understanding. That's that really no funny. I protect them, but you know, like, I, I give courage to people who convert to Judaism because they chose a religion that the whole world really like hates us. Literally, most of the world, not all the whole world, most of the world. And they chose to be Jewish. And we we are Jewish because we were born Jewish. Our our ancestors go almost 3,000 years. That's you what know, I wanted to say. 3,000 years. And, Put that in there too. 3,000 years. I just want to get that in right, there. That's, that's fine, are you? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, and, <laughs> and, you know, that's my, mother, my mother was born in Karachi, Pakistan. It was a small community there. It was a very observant community. India has a very observant community. And now because of the small, the smallest there, you know, they're, they have to move away from the synagogue and, you know, they have to go to work and things like that. But it's like over, tradition, like traditional, history, it's a very observant, very observant co community and we're very united community. But just to add, like my, my mom, you didn't mention this, but you're married. Yeah, I'm married to my <laughs> husband, Joshua. Yeah, my dad's actually here. This is, this is Joshua. So my, my dad was also, you'll, you'll tell your story, but my dad was also born in India, in India, in Bombay. Um, and he moved to Israel after uh, the year after the Six Day War, so 1968. And my parents met in the 1991, and my dad moved here 30 years ago. He like, just celebrated 30 years in Tubishvat, living in Canada. So his narrative is very different because he went from, you know, India to Israel to Canada. So uh, yeah. the experiences are definitely... Uh, different from our from my mom's living here in, in, I'm not sure it's that different in terms of being accepted but we'll hear I guess yeah definitely yeah that's yeah, true but you know for example he went to the military and, and the idea of adopting the Israeli identity is, is obviously a different experience than maybe becoming Canadian so uh I don't know how you want him to start but he can also mention so, let, let me just finish whatever yeah, yeah. yeah so I'm just saying like my mom like my mom was born in Karachi and there's a small community there and they were treated really nicely, you know, for long, long for generations. And then when the state of Israel established, hate to say this, the Muslims started attacking the Jewish homes. I hate to say this, true. You know, you know, they trample on the Torahs and, you know, my, my uncles were running to the synagogue because my great grandfather and my grandfather built the synagogue with, and my uncle, um, uh, great uncle built the synagogue in Karachi, the Magen Shalom synagogue. And it was like in the 1980s, it was destroyed, but it was there until the 1980s. And it's like, it was a very sad, you know, my mother had to escape with only clothes on her back because nobody talks about, they talk about the European Jews escaping and, and, and the Moroccans and the, you know, the Yemenites, the Arab lands, but they never talk about Jews of Afghanistan and Pakistan. You know, they came with only clothes on their back. They Most left everything every single thing their lifestyle they had a very good lifestyle very rich lifestyle very content life they never yeah, thought it would you know a luxurious life and they had to come to india like india pakistan and india were one country and yeah. you know but they during the 1947-48 the partition they had to leave but you know we never hear the narrative of the pakistani jews even though my my mom is B'nai Israel community from the B'nai Israel community, but she's still from Karachi, Pakistan. Yeah. And it's also there are cultural differences uh, between even within the, the B'nai Israel community. If you were from uh, Karachi, which was northern India, now Pakistan versus Maharashtra, like there are cultural differences that even within our community, you know, those differences are kind of uh, discussed or there's different, I guess, diverse experiences based on that. Some some of the community was more British influenced, some of them were not. So yeah. uh, there was even like, even rifts, to be honest, between the community members because of those differences. Yeah, and, um, but I'm just saying like, well, we're coming to Canada, it was very difficult like to belong to synagogue. When my, you know, when my brother passed away, I had a brother, my oldest brother passed away in 1975. My dad and his, our good family friend, been knocking on doors to get a plot. 
for my brother. It was very sad that we had to drive to synagogue to go to an Orthodox synagogue. Right. Because the synagogues around the area would not accept us, you know? So my- No, but then you went to a conservative, the synagogue you went to was conservative. Conservative. They, they accepted you. Yeah, but this was before Uncle oh. Joshua passed oh, away. So before this, that. Okay. Uncle okay, Joshua myself. passed away before. My parents, my mom and my dad did not know, like we didn't know we, we had to belong to a synagogue to have a plot. And, you know, so my dad's friend, Oliver Shalom, they're all, you know, my, my parents and my, my dad's friends all passed now, but they were knocking on doors to get a plot for my brother. And only one community, the Chabad community, the Lubavitch community. Did they, question us? they did not question us. Wow. They, they believed that we were Jewish. They got, a, they got a plot for my brother. And it was a very, very sad situation. And he died, so he was only 21. He died a, a very suddenly. It was unexpected, obviously. And, you know, here my grandparents are mourning the death of their eldest and, and a young, you know, son. And they have, the first thing they have to do is go knock, knock doors in the community, asking how, acquiring how to get a plot. And they made sure we had a minion twice a day at our, you know, at our Shiva, the Shiva. And not only that, we have like, we believe, we believe not in sitting on those chairs or couches. We believe sitting on the floor. Okay. Uh, in your morning, even sleeping on the floor for the morning mourners, we sleep on the floor too. And they accepted us the way we were. The tradition. The tradition. The, you know, they would make sure that we had people brought um, shiva meals come to us. We didn't have to cook anything. Our Even our own Indian community here brought meals to us. So my parents were shocked. Like a community that we uh, we didn't even know existed, like the Lubavitch. We didn't understand whatever. And they came forward for us, you know, and it was, it was a very nice feeling that we, uh, even like our neighbors didn't like even come and visit us, our next door neighbors, they were Jews. They thought we were having a party. And they said, I said, why were we having a party for seven days? Think about uh, it. Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. <laughs> I said, where's the music? Did you hear music coming up? Did we think they, there were lines of cars outside? They didn't even come to visit us. To sit. And, and when they you were, had left, Chabad had not yet come to Bombay, right? Now there's Chabad in Bombay. No, oh, Chabad came in the later on. They left in 1966. Yeah, right. We, that's didn't know Chabad. we did not know anything about Chabad. Really. I think one thing also to mention to add to your story is that um, in India, you don't pay for membership of synagogues. You give donations. And, and also for Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, there are bidding, right? Like you like bid yes. to have a different mitzvot. So that's how the synagogue raises money for the year. But you don't have to be a member per se to give yearly you know, payments for families. So when my family, I know grandma would tell, my, my grandmother would tell me stories that when I was a child that when they first got here, it was before Rosh Hashanah, no? It was before right Rosh Hashanah. Right before Rosh Hashanah. They thought, okay, we'll go to a, you know, a, a synagogue. Yeah, why would that be a, d a difficult task? And then they were asked, oh, you have to pay membership. We went to Moroccan synagogue. I mean, this was a synagogue close to be walking distance to our house. Like we wanted to go to, doesn't the matter. The Sephardic one was far. The Sephardic you one had was to drive far. To we had to drive to go because ah, it was okay. far south. And my parents wanted to walk and my mother would always say, but at least let my, my, uh, my mother, she said, let my husband, the first year, let my husband and my two sons come. My, my daughters and I will stay home. It doesn't, you right. know. And they said no. And they, she worked for the synagogue. She got the job there, but unfortunately they didn't give her a permanent job, whatever reason. And they hired a non-Jewish person to work in the synagogue, you know, in a thing. And when they could help a Jew, they, they gave. But you know what, it doesn't matter. My parent, my mother, she didn't care. Like she like flicked everything off her shoulder her because charm. a very strong person. And she, you know, she would flick everything. My parents would always flick everything, brush, off their shoulder, you know, just, just, you know what, Hashem put us here for a reason and we have to strive through it and we make ourselves stronger and we have to make our kids stronger and that's it. And this is very interesting, even like to live, like I was very, I was very close. Unfortunately, I never met my grandfathers because they passed away before I was born, but I was very close to my mother's, my mother's mother because she lived here in, in Toronto. Every other Shabbat she would sp spend with us and you know Chagim, the Jewish holidays, and I was very close with her. I was mostly the youngest first cousin, so uh, as a little girl, I would spend a lot of time with my grandmother, and she would tell me all the stories from the time she was born and and like living living in Karachi to moving to Bombay to moving to Canada, and like 
she was such an inspiration for me as a woman, as a strong woman. You know, she was really the pillar of strength in the family. She was the one that motivated the family to move to Canada. And at the end of her life, she never regretted it. No. Which is very, she was very proud to be Canadian, which is kind of like that silver lining, that hope, you know, that level of hope. We always make a joke, you know, she's actually buried in Jerusalem. But that that was the year that Jerusalem had like the biggest snowfall in years. And we always say, oh, she brought Canada to Jerusalem with her. <laughs> the snow she was her. so um, proud to be a Canadian as well. Very proud to be Indian, very proud to be Jewish, very, very Zionist, as well as very proud to be Canadian, which was really interesting because even all these, even with all these hardships, she still had fond memories and she, and she still never regretted bringing her family here. We had, again, we were part of the biggest Jewish community in India, you know, and, you know, neighbors were very good to us. I think she kind of also foresaw that people were leaving once the state of Israel was established slowly, slowly in the 50s and 60s, the community were, were leaving. So where's the future? Where's the future of education? And where's the future of a Jewish life? I actually just want to ask you first, Ariella, and then we'll go on. To yeah, sure. All right. You were brought up in the Jewish school there? Yes. Yeah, so I, I attended school, I would say from Gun all the way to my gap year. So I, I, I attended Jewish school majority of my life. And even the university I chose had a significant Jewish community and uh, was very active in the Jewish community. So very much product of the establishment here, I would say. I just wanted to uh, just add something what my wife said about Jews from Karachi. Uh, actually, I had an aunt who came walking from Rangoon. At that time, it was Burma. Burma. During, the, I think, the Second World War, she was part of the, uh, uh, the refugee uh, uh, that came. I came walking from Rangoon. And they lived in Pune, which is about uh, 110 miles, just about, uh, I would say, uh, down south from Mumbai, 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 110 miles. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Indian Jews live in Pune also. There still so, are Jews there. I want to put yeah. that out there. There are still Jews in Bombay. There are still yes, Jews. there are. Yes, there, there are. Yes. There are many Jews, and there are also many synagogues in yeah. India. Yeah. Right. Pune has home. the Red Synagogue. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, there are about uh, more than seven or ten synagogues in Mumbai itself. More. Yeah. So anyway, so you want to learn about learn about my life, my my, my, my life story. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so your whole life story in ten minutes. In like ten minutes. <laughs> about ten minutes. Born in Mumbai, a very traditional Jewish family. My father, Alava Shalom, was a uh, was a. Uh, yeah. As, uh, was a deputy spinning master in the Edward Textile Mills, which was uh, which was uh, uh, owned by the Sassoon family. It was amazing. I mean, uh, being an Indian Jew, it was a wonderful experience. We we had no problems in practicing Judaism, and uh, India was uh, one of the I would say uh, the most tolerant uh, multicultural country. Uh, our neighbors were Hindus, Muslims, Christians, Parsis. Uh, Persians, uh, different kinds of Muslim community. We, I just uh, we, we lived just in front of a bakery run by uh, Persians. Workers were all Muslims. And uh, whenever my mother had to make some homemade cookies, and you know, at that time we never had these, you know, sophisticated ovens. Uh, right. In, in the field. So we went, we went to the bakery and there no problems. We made kosher uh, cookies and kosher bread and everything. There no problems in that. So that way, uh, very tolerant country. Very. Uh, I had a few few issues in the school. I was in the Catholic high school, St. Mary's High School. You went and to a Catholic school the, all throughout from the from a young age. You never went to a Jewish school. No, no, no. I went to no. I went to KG. I went to, oh, you went uh, to Cal yeah. yeah. So yes, yeah, just yeah. from 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 uh, kindergarten to high school. So all those St. Mary's and St. Joseph and St. Xavier's, all these all these schools. Well, like, you know, I'm in high education. I had to pay, you know, pay not very much money, but at that time, it was like a British background. You know? And the first language was English, obviously. And the second language was Hindi, Marathi, Marathi, the South Indian language, yeah. Hindi, the so Maharashtra. Maharashtra language, and, uh, and French and Latin, or French, or French or Latin was one of those two languages was a compulsory. But did most of your community go to the Catholic school? None of them went to, no. I forgot the name of the school. Well, no, Jacob no. Sassoon School? Jacob yeah. Sassoon. So, a, lot, a lot of them went to Jacob Sassoon, but... Um, oh, yeah. so I think it's important to note that before the Jacob Sassoon School, there was a different Hebrew school called the Israelite School, which is now called the Sir Ali Kaduri School. That was the first Jew, a Hebrew Jewish school that existed. Free school. Free. And it's free. Uh, it was actually built 
by my great great right? huge. Yeah, it is huge. Yes. Um, it was built by my great great grandfather. What he did well, at the time, uh, um, he lived during the eighteen hundreds, and uh, he was given land by the British. And he asked for land for a school and for and for I believe a cemetery. Yeah, cemetery. So he created this school for boys and girls because he believed girls should also receive a Jewish education for free. That was the first Jewish school in Mumbai, formal school. Um, and it was later it was later named uh, Sir Ali Kaduri because Sir Ali Kaduri had given a lot, a lot of money. And then we have uh, um, Sir, um, Jacob Sassoon School. So I maintain my my Hebrew language actually. I mean I studied Hebrew also, and it's hyphenated yeah. up. Uh, the eighth time. Being, being in St. Mary's High School, actually, I didn't prepare for my bar mitzvah. And I, right away from the age eight or nine, I started learning Hebrew in a local Eitzheim uh, synagogue. Just before we came to Israel, about in, at the age of grade, I would say grade eight, nine, I switched to Sir Jacob Sassoon High School, which was a you know school, a Jewish school. It was free of charge. Nothing was being charged over there. And, and that's how I maintained my Hebrew also. And uh, I hear you say, my, my best friends were all Baghdadi Jews. <laughs> I'm talking about Baghdadi Jews. Us, right? My best friend was <laughs> Baghdadi Jew, and we got along very well. There's nuances. And, nuances. Uh, I, I hear that, yeah. yeah. So I'm just saying, uh, uh, like I was saying, because the, the Iraqi, the Baghdadi Jews, like the older generation was different you know, actually, yeah, from I the younger that. generation. When you came to synagogue, my matters, then they always thought that, you know, they always felt that, you know, that they're most superior or sophisticated uh, community than the Bene Israel. But today, if you see uh, today's life, you see Bene Israel Jews. They are very best good readers. They read so fluently. It's amazing to see how Bene Israel Jews read. You go to Israel, go to Bene Israel synagogue, you see how each one reads so beautifully. I did my Bar Mitzvah in India, okay. and uh, I read my, my, my Torah. I was born in Simchat Torah. And we also have this this custom of 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 uh, the Burmish market reading zemirot. You know the zemirot prior to the shacharit. Before you get to the actual shacharit, you have the uh, you know you have the the, the psuke zimra. Right. So yes. there was a custom in in India that three boys would go to the table and and read portions of the zemirot. Raninu tzadikim Hashem, David b'shanoto. All that stuff. So all that stuff, I was I was prepared. I had two teachers. One teacher was a Chazan from uh, from Eschaim Senegal. He taught me the Tamim, Tamim of the Ben Israel, the Tamim Mikraya. And 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 there were, I also had one was one was uh, the teacher who taught me how to read Hebrew and and other. Portion of the daily and all that stuff. Why the Beradona in Moshe Mora Kitisa Edros Jewish education it was amazing. I didn't, you know, I was coming when we made an Aliyah in 1968, I was all prepared. My only problem was is to get adjusted to the Israeli society. That was my tough time. And I can never forget that. My two siblings were already in Israel. In 1965, they came to Israel, and uh, myself and my younger brother, we were left behind. We, we were there with my parents, and we all came in 1968. Yes, they were in Israel. They were still in the army. They were still in the they, they, they participated in the Six Day War and everything. But me and for my brother also, we didn't get adjusted so well. It seems that because maybe we came in that in that year which is in the mid of high school. So either you go at a young age or you right. go after your high school and then you go straight or whatever to the army. To the army. Uh, it was a nightmare for me, a severe nightmare for me. Especially when you are like, you know, I mean, the first two weeks, the cold was terrible at that time, very cold. The Shikonim, the buildings were not yet built. They were still building for Olim Khadashim. And, uh, and we lived in Kiryatia, which yeah, is the outskirts of... Uh, outskirts of Haifa, mm -hmm. which is a very like close Was there a Ben Israel community in Kiryat Yam? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yam, yeah. They were, it was uh, a small. They were, getting, yeah, they were getting bigger. But then within two weeks, I had to be separated from my parents because I, I went to the kibbutz for six months. Wow. I Noah. And, and, you know, I mean, never, I never left my parents, you know, for so many, I mean, 
You're yeah, coming from a community coming with from a community three generations so living in one house sometimes. So it took me a while. It took me a while to adjust myself, even though when I was in the army. But when I got my first job, after I finished my education, then I started getting my chutzpah. I would say my, my real Israeli chutzpah. That British, the British or the Indian, uh, you know, behavior was still there. Uh, you know, the, the, the discipline and the, uh, the I wouldn't say passiveness, I but I would say the, the respectful Indian way of, you know, I mean, you know, yeah. was still there. And then I was a very quiet guy. I was very shy. But then when I started becoming into, uh, you know, social, you know, in, in a community, and, and, and dealing with Jewish agency and, you know, and, and giving houses to, to Olim Hadashim you know, when they came to Israel. That's how I started, you know, becoming more different and getting forward and bringing that chutzpah out, you know, whatever it was inside me hiding. So kind of, yeah, that's, that's what it is. Uh, when I came to Canada, I had no such problem. My father came from a very rich experience in the textile mill. Unfortunately, the, the, the textile mill went into liquidation. And so, and so my grandmother also passed away. My siblings were in Israel. So everything came together and we went in Algeria. It's not that we wanted to come right away and that's it. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't dreaming about Israel at that time. I said, let's finish my education. But things came together and said, you know what? It's time to move. Grandmother passed away. The textile mill went to liquidation. It was a six-day war, and and then you know it said, you know what, Hashem is with us. Let's move on. It was difficult, but my father was trying to get a job at the same line, and there were political issues back in Israel in the sixties. Uh, let's not get into it, but uh, you know, went through different. You can get into you it. Can say what you can say what you want to say. You want to yeah. Get into it. There was a political issues about the Labour Party being into the into the head of the country for so many years, and and they interviewed my father, and you know we went to uh, Kiryat Atta, the Atta uh, textile mills. Thirty years of experience in the textile mills. He did not get a job. He didn't get any job. In the end, he started working for Telma, started working for for Matchbox, uh, match you know the Matchbox uh, uh, factory. He went to work with Keren Kayemen. He went climbing up the hills in Afula and, and working planting for Keren Kayemen for, for the GNF. And, trees. and planting then trees. he went, yeah, to planting trees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he actually then, planted the trees? Yeah, that was yeah. his job to plant trees for Keren Kayemen. I remember him actually going every morning at five o'clock with a little handbag in his, you know, I mean, he had a tailing book in his hand and he had a sidur. And then afterwards, I started figuring out why is he carrying? He used to read Tehillim in the bus from Kiryatyam to Haifa, and from Haifa, where he was appointed to become, at last, he got a job as a Ezrach of Exar, a civilian employee for, for a, you know, for a army base. And what he used to do over there, he used to wash tanks. He washed tanks in the steam water, steam pipe to wash all the tanks that are coming from the, you know, from the desert or from the- But he didn't the, complain. He never, he complained. never complained until he got burnt and his legs got burnt. And then he had to start working. He's, uh, he was a Khazan back in India. He used to help the Khazan in Etzheim synagogue. And that's how I picked it up. This is something that I can never forget. I learned from my father, Allah Shalom, how to pray and how to chant uh, and how to sing and then how to perform and, 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 and all that, etc., etc. And have you ever done that in Canada? Have, they, have you ever had the... So that's yeah. for sure. You started I, in Israel. I believe me, I have a Chabad synagogue over here in Chabad gate over here, 770. Yeah. And I was appointed to, to, take, to, to, to take over a, a Baal Kure, who the, the rabbi used to go to, to Brooklyn uh, every uh, uh, the Crown Heights, every uh -huh. Sukkot and 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 uh, and Cholamoyd of Passover. So I read. I read. But I, think I, read a, I think it's important I, to note, though. Like, sorry to interrupt. Firstly, my father started at age nine. Nine, of course, to yeah, learn. Nine. But to be a Chazan, you started in your early twenties. Very early, yeah. So and once before, your, your father passed away, how old were you? 
I was 20. And the first thing you had to do is you had to, at age 20, was to take your first bar mitzvah student because my grandfather, my Saba, was teaching a bar mitzvah student. Yeah. He had passed away. My father's first student, he was only 20, teaching the student bar mitzvah. And then he has today, over, today, at this point, he has over 50 years of experience. Today, I have and more than about uh, 100, 120 students. All together, yeah. And still using the, um, the cantorial I going back one second back. so he was an assistant chazan in Kiryat Yam in the B'nai Israel synagogue yeah. he eventually became the main chazan of the synagogue before he came to Canada for about know. 10 years he was he did that when he wow. came here now, I, you could talk that, about this I appeared as, as one of the cantors uh, for the Salichot in Kiryat Gat in 1980. They broadcasted that in, in the, uh, on the Israeli TV. No, in 1988. They did a broadcast on the Israeli broadcast. TV. That was something that's that was great. We'll have to find that somewhere. I'll send it to you. And then when I came to Canada, I mean, I was thinking about the Chabad. They needed a Baal Kore because, uh, and I said, okay, I mean, I'm a Baal Kore. And in the meantime, while I was, I was, I was in different stables. I was, uh, I was uh, in, in Shifting Size Stable. Uh, again, uh, the Nusach was Safar. So not Sephardic and not Ashkenazi, it was Spain. Nusach Sephard, yeah. Nusach Sephard, yeah. And, and whoever went to the table, whoever went to the, the, to the Dukhan, he, he did whatever his style was. But you have to follow the text. The text wow. was, so there was an Ashkenaz, he did the Ashkenaz way. There was a Moroccan, he did the Moroccan way. And I did the Indian way. And, and that's how I got acquainted with David Ashkenaz Nusach. So I learned Ashkenaz. And I even learned Yerushalmi, little of it, I came back from Israel, and I knew Yerushalmi, so I learned Yerushalmi, and I learned Ashkenaz, and when I was appointed to become the Baal Kurit Chabad, uh, to replace the rabbi, I did my way, I did the Indian way, more than 10 years, I think I was uh, like, and now later on, Rabbi Landa asked me, do you know Ashkenaz? Do you read, do you know the Ashkenaz trope? And I said, Rabbi, I never thought you would ask me that question. I said, yes, I know. And so he said, can you do Ashkenaz? And I said, yes, I will do the Ashkenaz, no problems. Yes, and I had Ashkenaz students also studying Bar Mitzvah lessons with me. Wow. Yeah, and then but after- You can teach all of it. You can teach and today, today I go, so I yeah. go to a very nice, very um, dynamic Mor Moroccan synagogue, which is called Kul Torah. Uh, Rabbi is very- Amazing. Amazing and very experienced in all kinds of cultures. Jews from Algiers, from, from, from Morocco, from India. His wife is a Moroccan. His father is an Iraqi and, a, and a, an Egyptian. Egyptian. He's got he's got very much, he knows Yiddish very well. His father is in, he was French. So <laughs> I do, oh yeah, yeah. And today I'm a Baal Kore. I do Yerushalmi in the Iraqi synagogue, and I go every day to the Moroccan synagogue, which I'm, I'm a member of it. And we have our Indian kind of uh, get together, high holiday assembly I mean, yeah, for 30 years now. Uh, for, for, for 30 years now we do the Rosh Hashanah and Kippur services in our way and we get a lot of, lot of and what's Jews. unique about that what's unique about the Rosh Hashanah services do the women go first of all no that's a question first yeah we go yeah I would say that like growing up like this is my generation um whether you're religious or not in the B'nai Israel community the Salichot time Elul and the one second and the two stray holidays is seen as like the pinnacle of the whole year it's seen as like the Super, Super Bowl. Bowl. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> it is the Super Bowl of the year, and it doesn't matter how religious you are. Like you, if you're Bene Israeli and your family is somewhat connected, you are exposed fully to to Selichot. Like I have friends who are not even that religious living in Mumbai right now that they still go with their father every morning for Selichot and Elul. And they will go for the high holiday prayer. So it's seen as a very, it's a big deal. I mean, I think to the whole Jewish nation, it's a big deal. But I would say no, for our traditions, we have a lot of traditions related to either the tefillah or the food or the customs of the high holidays. And prayer is, is like vital. It, it, it's it's a, the center of all of that. And we take the chazan that, that leads the prayers very seriously. It's seen yeah. as a very serious thing. And the tunes are very unique. It's different from other, other tunes. My dad can go more into it. He has uh, that knowledge. I would say that if you ask most Spinning Israelites, especially from my parents' generation and some from my generation, they would say that the most, they're probably their favorite tunes and favorite melodies come from that time of the year. And I just want to tell you, like our rabbi, what, like he's, he's great, Rabbi Vadia Chabusha, 
he was like when when Josh is saying he like he's very like proud to say like you know this and he's like when he when we have any you know memorial service like like a haskara or something he would always include the Indian Jewish community like he would say something that comes from Food for halachot that's related, that's related to Jewish community. It's, it's so nice it's like a circle you know we were treated not nicely by the by the Moroccans in the beginning when we first came right. but then we come back you know we you know we're the new close. generation we're, we're close. close to them now because it's a new generation. It's not the older generation. I, I, not, yeah. I think it's important to note, though, we kind of skip a chapter here because you're asking my father about being a chazan here. And he's saying all the, the positive things, but I will be the one to point out that it was very difficult. When my dad came here, you can, if you are comfortable talking about it, he did not get jobs at synagogues. He went to synagogues as a chazan. He said, I'll learn Ashkenaz. I learned, I learned, I'll learn I your actually, shami. I took a voice training he with an Ashkenaz cantor. And, uh, and I even studied Ashkenaz davening. I went straight. I spent money. Private students. And it was uh, tough because teaching, I think I think a big uh, part. Private uh, tuitions. Uh, and to, we, the, the money that we didn't have, that we because, had to you know, put forward. Uh, right, sure. To, to be honest, I mean, you know, I mean, to chant the Ashkenaz davening, it's very different. It's very different from the Sephardic davening. Uh, the Sephardic is a little bit different. It's, it's, it's more like a Paitan, I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, uh, I do both. I mean, it's, I, I have studied myself such a way that you can, you have to study how to chant loudly, to have a, a performance voice, as plus as to have a head voice. Mm -hmm. Two different things. So mm -hmm. you use a head voice while you are doing a your, your actual, you know, the reading stuff, the rapid right. reading, but you're going to read the highlighted stuff, you have to use your performance voice. <laughs> So these things you have to learn, and this is what and I, I think it's really, what's really I, amazing. I, the only way I practice this each and every day is when I get prepared, when I prepare myself to read the Torah on Shabbat. That's when I practice each and every day how to chant and how to do the uh, the, the, the the head voice. I think this is also a good lesson, yeah. like seeing how my father practices, because he's learned different styles of, of Jewish, of performing uh, uh, the tefillah, and he applies it to one another. For example, when he learned cantorial from Ashkenaz, he applied those skills to his performance of the B'nai Israel tunes and he's enhanced the B'nai. Like, that's such a great example of how we can learn from one another. The text is based, is almost the same and that we have one God that we pray to and that, you know, we are, we're one, we're one and that he can take something from Yerushalmi, like the, the Makams, his knowledge of Makam and his knowledge about the, the cantorial and then apply it to the B'nai Israel tunes what an example that's non, you know, that's music, it's song. You don't have to talk about, you know, right now we're having a dialogue. We don't have to have a dialogue to learn about each other. Like go to a synagogue and see how this person has applied these different techniques. It brings people together and I've seen it. I've seen it bring people together. And I think it's amazing. But again, backtracking, you had difficulty. I'm going to bring it up. You had difficulty <laughs> getting jobs here. As a he never got a job. Period. You he, never, not, he never you know, got a job we, as a we call, we, we used, actually, no, we, no, we used to call We used to call ourselves wandering Jews. You used to call yourself a wandering, wandering Jew, Jew because we go from one synagogue to another. We went to Or Sameach, Chabad. The Shebel that was the most accepting was a, a small Shebel. It wasn't she a big, grand synagogue. They were the most accepting. No, but they were offering a job in the conservative synagogue. But you wouldn't I, take it because it's conservative, conservative because, orthodox, right? Of course not. But I'm saying you wouldn't take it. We went to Moroccan. We left Moroccan. We went to Iraqi like three times. We went, you know, Bukhari and there. And we're saying you remember this. So this wasn't 50 years ago. This no, was. this is my life. This is 30, yeah. 40 years of my life going to different synagogues. I'm on one hand, I'm very grateful because I can go to, I can, maybe not Yemenites because I've not experienced that. I heard the prayer is different, but it's very different. I can exactly. probably walk into almost any synagogue and be comfortable, open a CD or exactly. find the page and adapt quickly yeah. because of that. Yeah. However, till recent years that we have now we have an amazing minion an amazing rabbi that we feel included till then we really went synagogue to synagogue five years here ten years here they didn't come up to us to welcome us i actually went to a, a school that was sephardic um, my parents put me there purposely thinking that 
this would be the place you're being included. This is the place we want you to learn Sephardic traditions that way because it's closest to ours, you know, out of right. all schools. You'll be exposed to individuals who have a similar narrative or background as, as, as us. Ironically, it was the place that I experienced the most discrimination um, as a child. I had, it's weird. I had, it's interesting because I had a lot of friends. I was pretty popular in my, in, in, in the class. A lot of friends. There was a couple of situations. One of them was, you know, how in school you're chosen, uh, the, the kids are chosen as Abba, Abba, Abba and Ima on mm-hmm. Fridays. You would do like a mock couple of Shabbats and a Shabbat table and the, the yeah. girl is, you know, chosen as the mother and the boy is, uh, is chosen as the father. And you get, you know, it's, it's a highlight of the week, you know, when you're a little kid. Yeah. Um, I was chosen as the Ima, I don't know, is this kindergarten? No, and grade junior grade one, junior before grade one. one. Um, and the boy who was chosen as Abba literally, I kid you not, in front of the whole class, in front of the teacher says, I would never want a black wife. And wow. the kids start, you know, some kids started laughing, even though I had friends, some kids started laughing. It was, you know, seen as a joke and the teacher did nothing. I, I came home. It was Friday. My mom, my mom describes that she was getting ready for Shabbat and she sees me like standing outside the window, uh, standing next to the window, looking outside, crying my eyes out. And she's confused. She's saying, what happened? What's going on? Why are we a couple hours away from Shabbat and my daughter is in tears and I have no idea what's going on. And I told my mother the situation and she called the, the school furious saying you know if this happens happens, you have to let me know this and did you do anything about it oh no I thought I dealt with this situation you dealt with the situation did you talk to your to the children did you call the child's parents did you explain to them the situation anything nothing so I I I always tell people I in recent times especially that you know being a Jew of of our community you have two uncomfortable conversations you have to have with your children one about anti-Semitism and one about discrimination within the Jewish community, specifically based on uh, skin color. People call it racism. I, you know, I just call it you know, discrimination amongst the Jewish people because I see us as one race, as one people. My mom had to have an uncomfortable conversation with me that, you know, I think she went, she went off with the narrative, you know, the Jewish people are like different flowers and all flowers have different colors and, you know, we're all different colors. You know, to kind of kind of rationalize it for a child that's what I'm makes the beautiful bouquet it could be a mosaic it could be a bouquet i don't care <laughs> i hold that conversation i don't know if you know this but that conversation sticks with me for the rest of my life and it made me really strong and yes i grew up with my mother my grandmother as i told you i was very close to my yeah. mother's mother she told me a lot of stories of how she was mistreated based on her skin color so i just took that as learning lesson as, as like lessons so to be learned and you know, she was seen as this very strong figure for me my parents I'm, you know, I'm only, you know, I'm my parents' only child, and you know, they're seen as big role models for me. How they got through these struggles, and and um, and uh, how they're proud of. We're very, I grew up very proud of my identity and my heritage, and being Bene Israeli, and I'm always vocal about it till this day. And I started off as a, as a, as a child, like I actually ended up switching to an Ashkenaz, a primary Ashkenaz school, which I was where I was more accepted. Which is interesting because my cousins who went to the same school, they were mistreated oh. in that school, the Ashkenaz school, which is very, yeah, was but I was treated very well. And my teachers were very proud that they had an Indian Jewish student. And they, even though I also, as I got older into high school, they even, they even said, um, you know, we're very upset that our curriculum doesn't have more about other Jewish communities, which is funny, in my opinion, I don't even think the Ashkenaz narrative is properly taught because it's very selective, poor right. and hungry. And that's it. Like, I don't even that's think. It, yeah. We're not really even taught much about, you know, in depth or in uh, of the richness of Ashkenaz jury, let alone yeah. non-Ashkenaz jury. Right. But um, and they would all whenever we'd have projects, they would ask me, please bring something that's connected to your Indian Jewish roots. Right. So one time I brought like a machzor that's almost a hundred years old, and I showed the machzor and in Marathi and Hebrew, and I would all you know they encouraged me. So amongst my friends too, they always were excited. They were excited to come for Shabbat meals, and I actually used the Shabbat table. I found um, a way to open that conversation. You know, I wasn't just the one of the one of the only B'nai Israelis in my in my school. There were a few of us. I was also very uh, one of very few Orthodox Jews, like Shomer Shabbat uh, Jews in the school, because it was more pluralistic. Like I describe it as a Deti Lumi school with pluralistic uh, students, like you know, yeah. students of all backgrounds. I would <laughs> a lot of times invite friends for Shabbat meals. One, so they can come over. Two, so they can experience Shabbat. Some of them have never experienced Shabbat before. But three, so they can meet my parents and kind of have the experience of being at an Indian Jewish Shabbat table. You know, the food, we eat lamb curry and chicken curry. And, you know, some of our traditions are different than the Nusach. What what's the what's makes it unique? So, yes, the curry is obviously an Indian thing. Yeah. I get that. 
but biryani um, and the and the chicken palau and all that stuff. Yeah, all the, the food, food, all the food. Um, as much as there were a lot of positive and accepting this, there there are microaggressions. You know, I, I was in a gym class one time, and you know, the previous the, the, the next class walked into the change room, and a girl looked right at my face, grade seven, saying, "Are you Jewish?" And I'm like, "Yeah." You know, my family chose to spend all this money on private Jewish day school because I'm not Jewish. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> right? You know, or like I went to, um, just recently, a couple of years ago, and I'm very involved in the Jewish community. I went to Shabbaton with, uh, with a local uh, uh, Jewish organization, and I was at the Rabbi Rabbanit's uh, house. This is before COVID uh, on Friday night. And uh, one of the, um, a Jewish guy who, you know, whose family comes from former Soviet Union background is asking me, like, you know, basically asking if I'm Jewish. And I said, why? He's because I don't look Jewish to you. And he says, well, yeah, like, well, I'm like, you know, the, what I said was, well, you know, where I, where my family comes from, you don't look Jewish. Right. So I, you know, because if you were light skinned, it actually was like, are you Jewish? Like, you know, it's interesting how the norms are different in different diaspora communities. So I had microaggressions, even in university, for example, when I went to uh, different Jewish groups, like yeah. people didn't assume I was Jewish. They assumed I wasn't. They thought I was a friend of a Jew. When I got back from my gap year, I went to a club sphere and there was a, um, yeah. A Jewish, I was at the time I was studying um, health sciences, which now I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not pursuing, but I was interested in the Jewish health network and the two students that were kind of leaders there. They spoke to my friend who had just graduated from Tiferi Pesiakov, went to seminary, wore skirts, you know, looked, you know, looked the part. And here I was, um, you know, didn't look necessarily exactly like her. They were talking to her directly and they were completely, no, I wasn't wearing anything identifiable, but they completely assumed I wasn't Jewish. Yet the organization says Jewish in the name. And they asked me if I had any questions. I said, yeah, I want to hear more about this. And then they, at the end of the, of the pitch they gave me, they, add, they added the line, oh, it's not just for Jews. And then I said, but I am Jewish. And here in my head, I'm thinking 3,000 years of history, families, Orthodox, went to my gap year. I was like, you know what, forget about it. I have nothing to prove. I don't, I don't, have, to, I don't have to give, I'm on a witness stand here that I have to give a testimony on court. I am Jewish. I walked away and I just realized, yes, I'm in university. Yes, it's 20, at the time it was 2013. However, I'm still facing certain, you know, microaggressions, ignorance, lack of understanding, you know, um, and I, I'm okay with that and I will face it. And the difference between my parents' generation and me is that my parents worked so hard to make sure that I had a platform and had a voice to, to, to speak up. Where they, when they tried to tell their story and when they tried to speak up or be included or say their perspective, the door was very much closed, shut in, in their faces. For me, you know, if, if the door is a little bit open, I'm going to push it open. And that's kind of the mentality I had through university. That was the mentality I have now. The little opportunity I get, including this podcast, the fact that you invited us, I'm going to take it. It's a way of not forgetting, but, but rehabilitating and, 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 and kind of healing as a community. People, you know, and, and we didn't talk about Israel, but that also has a lot to do with Zionism and our relationship with Israel. But I always say people call Israel and the Jewish nation as the nation reborn. And, and lately I've been, I've been describing us more as we're going through the birth pangs of the rebirth. We're not yes. there yet. The establishment of Israel, the connection of all the diaspora communities is the first step. And, you know, we're going through the difficult time. We're going through the pain in order to be reborn. We're not there yet. I think we're in a process to get there. And things like this, like this podcast and other and other. Um, and what you do, you can also say what you do for that. It's the work that we try to, you know, to uh, we put efforts and time, a lot of time into in either our daily life or in our work life. That is the way that we no, can say a little bit about your work life. I mean, that's you're very involved in that. <laughs> okay, so I work at the Israeli consulate. That's like my uh, full time job. That's what pays the bills. I, I'm very lucky that I can have a seat at that table as well because you know I, my specific position is academic and community affairs and i always make a point that when we have these conversations about community community outreach and community building and building initiatives with the jewish community on the on the behalf of the state of israel i make sure that in that dialogue that we're having in these decision making rooms that i bring up these different topics and that we're being inclusive and that we're being sensitive and mindful of how we how we relate to the jewish communities how we're using that for you know in order to push you know Israel's uh, platform, and but not tiptoeing. You're very careful. Not about tiptoeing. Not I'm vocal about it, and I'm very right. lucky that the office and the environment that I work in, which I don't know, I can't speak for the past, but right now is very open to that. They want it. It's very talkless. It's very, it's very open dialogue. You're very Israeli style. And if I have an issue with, with an initiative, or if I have a recommendation, there are ears hearing, and they want. Actually, they really like Ariel. We want to hear your perspective. You have a different perspective. You have a different background. 
please let us know what you think. And what's amazing to work in community affairs is that I don't have the answers to everything, but I can pick up the phone and ask somebody in the community, what do you think? If we wanted to have an initiative about the Ethiopian and Israeli community, I'm very grateful that our community, our Jewish community here is very diverse. I can pick up the phone and ask somebody, you're an Israeli Ethiopian that moves here from Israel, like here in Canada. What is your perspective? What do you think of an initiative like this? You know, and, and to be able to have that, to be that connector, that facilitator. And I, re I really enjoy that kind of aspect of, di of diplomacy, the fact that we're facilitators, that we're connectors. And I think Israel has a, a huge part in how the Jewish community connects with one another, whether, you know, politics aside, we all have some type of connection, whatever that connection is, and, and to do that. But uh, even on my off time, my, I'm really dedicating a lot of my efforts into uh, elevating the voices of the B'nai Israel community. Right now, it seems small, but like, long term, I have a lot of goals and I'm very involved in it. And that's my parent. I have my parents thank for that. And I'm very, I'm very enthusiastic about it, whether that's helping my parents have their voices heard or my father, his singing voice being more exposed. Not necessarily speaking, but getting other members of my community to speak because they never got the opportunity. I find also going back to how, how I'm treated, I find that I'm getting so many opportunities, thank God, but I'm the only one. And I, I find that a lot of people are just asking me a lot of times, Ariella, can you speak? There's a few of us who are always being asked to speak. And I said, you know, there's 80,000 Indian Jews in Israel. There's 4,000 in India. There's a bunch in Canada. You know, I'm very grateful you're giving this opportunity. However, maybe you want to get like another perspective from the financial right. community. Maybe instead of tokenizing the same person, it's like, oh, we're diverse, you know, or like the diversity button. We pressed it. We, we got it. That makes us inclusive. It's, it's more than that. You know, it's to understand a community's perspective. You have to understand the whole landscape. And um, I'm very vocal about that. And I'm, I'm very, I'm, I make sure that I, uh, that I'm, straightforward about that idea and I don't I don't sugarcoat it I don't because that's that's the only way we can deal with the issues straight on even when the rabbi our rabbi talks about you know, Jews from India I, I think that it's a very unique community I mean just imagine I mean you know she says about her about her great grandfather writing a book about the Indian Jews we didn't talk about, that. We didn't talk a, about that having a, nope. a Israelite, <laughs> having an Israelite school Sir Ali Kaduri school and then yeah, after and then, you know, I can go back and trace my Jewish identity from, from 1750. I can trace back all my ancestors. Living in India, I mean, you know, with all this Avodah Zarah, just uh, imagine how did we survive as Jewish and thrive, people and thrive. and thrive and practice our Jewish uh, practices or whatever you say. I mean, there are communist countries who didn't allow, you know, the government didn't allow the Jews it's to practice their own, their own religion. Yeah. This is something that you come from a, a multicultural, speaking more than 300 languages and have so many gods and so many this and so many that. You know, I mean, I remember as a kid, you know, walking to the synagogue, right on Erev Rosh Hashanah or Kippur and walking by to these Indian gods. And they were all crowded, people crowded and, and throwing rice and throwing money towards made out of clay. You dabbed with your sweets, no? Yeah, yeah, we should get sweets. Just, just keep us occupied. Just not think about that Abu Nazara. And something like that. I, it was something to distract us or getting some like a, 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 a like a roasted peanuts, uh, peanuts, you know, in a little cone, and just to, you know, just to chew them on the way to the synagogue to distract or to get some candy or something like that. Yeah, it was so you don't look at my idols. Amazing experience. I'm telling you. Yeah. I can never forget that. And this is how we preserve our religion. We were always told to, like, we were always to, told to close our eyes. If anything passed by our house, we would close the windows and the shut, you know. I also have to say something. I have to also mention that even the opposite way, with the synagogue, I mean, when they're singing, and there's a band going on, there's some wedding going on, some Indian wedding going on on the street. They knew that there was a synagogue nearby, and they would stop that noise. They would stop that band and celebration. Wow. Passed by, and after a few meters, they will start the band again. Wow. This is how discipline and so uh, considerate. And so yeah. tolerant you were yeah. back in the day. So yeah. A, so, what do you want to know about it's, your It's a two ways, you know. I mean, it's a. Uh, it no, that's an important part. I'm with that. That's an important part. <laughs> but now we can say from the beauty, from the history, from the heritage, I want. In one, two sentences, what could you, what do you want the next generation to know or even this generation? For me, that I want our, for, for the next generation to know that our ancestors, 
try their hardest to preserve and 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 keep our faith a faith in god faith in our community that we were like we were, we were jews first and indian second always will be jews first this is very important i tell this to ariella all the time we're jews first i think also a lot of people they have this misconception they think that a lot of our customs come from the local indian religious communities like the hindu population and the, the and the muslim population and i just want to like i kind of like like explain explain that like you know there are some things that we adopted from the local indians whether that's food whether that's dress but at the end of the day all our traditions are deeply in our ancient jewish roots whether that's the melida which i know you guys have uh, written about the melida and eliana ceremony or uh, our prayers it goes back to the time of the first and te second temple many of our traditions and people don't realize that I, i also think a lot of individuals don't realize the similarities that the jewish people have with other religions the idea of sacrifice the idea of prayer the idea of offerings so they 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 associate that mainly with non-jewish religions when really that was actually that was and it still is a big part of our religion tefillah in place of a sacrifice we have tefillah so our, my community for thousands of years kept up with certain you know they replaced certain things with that with that tradition of, of sacrifice or, or Korban Todag, yeah, exactly. So like a, th a Thanksgiving offering. So there are certain traditions that maybe in, uh, Jewish communities in Europe and other diaspora and other diaspora communities may not recognize, but you know we view it as a connection to our ancient Israelite roots. We don't see it as assimilation. We see it as we've taken, you know, you know, common unaffiliated uh, traditions from the local Indian community because that's where we were in the diaspora. It's, our, it's part of our diaspora narrative. It's part of our diaspora experience. And we applied it to our religion and our belief system and our rituals, which does not make it less Jewish. So thank you so much for joining and we hope to see you again soon. Thank you for listening. Reclaiming Identity is produced and edited by Moshe Singer and executive produced by Dalia Arusi and Dora Arusi. Our theme music is by Vanessa Paloma. Be sure to check her out on Spotify. Be a part of the reclamation. Subscribe to the Reclaiming Identity podcast on our website, instituteofjewishexperience.org, on our Facebook page, Spotify, or Apple Music. Follow our programs on our website and the Institute of Jewish Experience channel on YouTube. And please help support these and other ASF Institute of Jewish Experience efforts by donating today.